Well, friends, uh, welcome again uh, to Redeemer Burlington. Uh, we really are glad that you're here. Uh, today we're going to resume uh, our series in Luke. Uh, we took a break last week. Joseph was sick. Uh, we jumped into Mark for, for a day and looked at a passage there, but we're coming back now uh, into Luke. And so far in our series in Luke, uh, what we've been doing is been, we've been paying very close attention uh, to the ministry of Jesus. Jesus, if you recall, has been going from town to town, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Uh, he is preaching good news to the poor, liberty for the captives, sight for the blind, the year of the Lord's favor. And huge crowds are, are coming out to see Jesus. They're coming out to see Jesus and they're coming out to hear him preach. They're meeting him in the town and they're meeting him in the synagogues and they're even going out into the wilderness uh, to see him there. And that is the context for, for this passage. It's the context for today's parable. Uh, many, many people are going out to see Jesus to hear him preach. Now, not everyone is going to believe what Jesus has to say. Some will, uh, but others won't. And Jesus gives us this parable, as it were, as a way of helping us understand that, as a, as a way of making sense of what's going on. You know, why is it that some people are rejecting his gospel? Why is it that others are taking to it quickly, but then falling away? And why is it that some receive this word and, and it produces faith and it, and it bears good fruit in their lives? Uh, again, Jesus gives us this parable. What I want to do today is two things. First, I want to look at the seed. What is the seed uh, that's here in this parable? What does it represent? And secondly, I want to look at its success. Why does some seed fail, and why does some seed succeed? Okay, as we answer these two questions, right? What is the seed, and then what is its success? What's, why is it that some seed fails? Why does some seed succeed? I'll be making some just practical observations and applications along the way. Well, first... What is the seed that's here in, the, in this parable? If you open up your Bibles to Luke 8.1, you can, you can look on with me. Jesus answers this question uh, very directly in verse 8.11. He says there in the 11th verse that the seed is the word of God. What is the seed? It's the word of God. But specifically, it's the spoken word of God. If you were to look at verses 12 and 15, it's a word that is spoken and it's a word that is heard. Verse 12, the ones along the path are those who have heard the word. 13, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word. Verse 14, and those who fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. 15, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word. So what is this word? It's, it's a spoken word. It's the word that Jesus is speaking out loud as he goes from town to town, right? Preaching the gospel, preaching good news to the poor, liberty for the captives, sight for the blind, the year of the Lord's favor. This is the word that Jesus is speaking out loud as he goes to these various different places. And as he is there, what he is saying out loud is, I am the one who meets the needs of needy people. You know, I am the one who brings hope to those who have none. Jesus is saying out loud, I bring an end to oppression. You know, I am the one who sets people free from sin and the snares of Satan. Jesus is going and he's saying out loud, you know, I am the one 
who brings sight to those who are blind. I'm the one who brings light to those who are in darkness. He's saying, I am the one who inaugurates this year of the Lord's favor, the, the jubilee year. I'm the one who brings salvation and forgiveness and peace. Okay? This is the gospel message. This is what Jesus is preaching. You know, and this is what the seed represents. The seed is the spoken word of God. It's the word that Jesus is preaching, and it's the word that people are hearing when they come out to see him hear them preach. Now, the sower is sowing, right? And the preacher is preaching uh, for a purpose. He's not just doing it in a haphazard way. It's, it, there's some intentionality there, right? He, he has a goal in mind. When the sower sows seed, his hope and his expectation is that some of that seed is going to find its place in the earth, that it's going to take root, that it's going to sprout and grow, and eventually it's going to bear good fruit. This is why he's sowing seed in the first place. He's sowing seed because he wants this plant to take root, grow, and to bear good fruit. That's his purpose. Now, in this parable, only the fourth group of seed actually does this. Okay? Only the fourth group of seed actually bears fruit. That's to say, in this parable, you have a story of three failures but one success. This sort of seed-soil combination of one through three, they, they, they fail to do what God intends, or they fail to do what the sower intends. They don't bear any fruit, but the fourth one does. And the question, therefore, is why? And this brings us to the second half of the sermon. Why does some seed fail, and why does some seed succeed? Okay? Why does some seed fail, and why does some seed succeed? To answer that question, what, what I want to do now is to take a look at these various different seed-soil combinations, these, these four seed-soil conditions that are mentioned in this parable. And let's start here with seed-soil combination number one, the seed that's sown along the path. Okay? Look at verse 8-5 with me. A sower went out to sow his seed, and, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Okay, Jesus goes on and he interprets this part of the parable for us in 8.12, so look there with me. The ones along the path are those who have heard the word, right? And then the devil comes and he takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Okay, remember the question that we're asking. Why is it that some seed fails and why is it that some seed succeeds? Well, here we have a failure. Okay, people hear the gospel preached, but the gospel doesn't take root in their hearts. And the reason the gospel isn't taking root in their hearts is because the devil is taking it away from them. Okay? This seed fails to produce faith and fruit because the devil snatches the seed. He snatches the word away. Now what Jesus is highlighting here is that there is a war going on between God and the devil. Okay? The Bible teaches this plainly. God created a, a good and beautiful world. But the Bible also teaches that he has an adversary, a fallen angel named Satan, the devil. Okay? Now, of course God is stronger than Satan. 
Satan is a creature, okay? And God is way more powerful than... But Satan is powerful. And Satan is hell-bent on destroying this world, and he's hell-bent on destroying you and me. That is why a spiritual battle ensues every single time the gospel is preached. Every time the gospel is preached, there's a spiritual war going on. And here's the reason why. God loves you, and He wants to rescue sinners. He has done something to save sinners. He's done something to save people like you and me who, left to our own devices, are in bondage to our sin and ensnared by the devil. God has sent His very Son into this world to live a perfect life in our place, okay, to die for the forgiveness of our sins. And then He was raised victorious from the grave, and He is now right at the right hand of the Father where He prays for us incessantly. You could think of it this way. Jesus has opened up the doors of a prison, and He has opened wide the gates of heaven, and He says, come on in. I have paved a way for you to leave your prison and to join me in heaven. And the devil hates this. He absolutely hates this. The devil does not want you to know that Christ has been victorious. He does not want you to know that he has been defeated decisively. He does not want you you or I to know that he has lost this war. He does not want you to know the victory of Christ. And I'm going to be very blunt with you. The devil hates you. He hates you, he hates Christ, and he hates the gospel. He doesn't want you to believe it. He would rather you live a life apart from God, mired in your sin, miserable, and alienated from God forever. That's his intent and his purpose. And so in sum, what we have here is people who hear the gospel, okay, but they never believe it. It never takes root in their heart because the devil takes it away from them. That's the first obstacle to faith and fruit-bearing that's mentioned here. Okay? Well, let's take a look at seed-soil uh, combination number two, okay? the seed that's sown on the rock. One moment. Look at, look at verse 8-6 with me. Uh, and some... Uh, seed fell on the rock. Uh, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Okay, Jesus then goes on to say in verse 8.13, describing this, what this means. And the ones on the rock are those who, uh, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in the time of testing, they fall away. I don't know what comes to mind for you when you think about seed sown on a rock. I mean, for the longest time, the image that was often in my mind was this field with large rocks and boulders in it. I thought that's, you know, what seed sown on the rock sort of meant. Uh, But that's not sort of the the soil condition that Jesus is describing. He's not talking about a field with lots of large rocks in it. He's describing a soil condition that's actually pretty common in the hill country of Palestine. If you go to the hill country of Palestine... Uh, you'll find that there are places there where the the topsoil is a few inches deep. But if you grabbed a shovel and you started digging into it, pretty quickly you would hit a a thick layer of rock, of limestone. You have this layer of topsoil, right? And then right underneath it, 
about a few inches underneath it is this layer of rock, this layer of, of, of limestone. And, and here's why this is significant. Okay, in this type of soil, in this soil where there's this layer of rock and then there's this thin layer of topsoil above it, a seed is going to be planted pretty shallow, in a pretty shallow soil. And you're going to notice very quickly, okay, you can almost intuit this, this, this might be fairly obvious, but a, a seed that's planted in shallow soil is going to break through the earth pretty quickly. You're going to see results right away. Right? A seed planted right here is going to, when it starts to sprout, it's going to break through the earth and you're going to start to see signs of life pretty quickly. And for a while, you're going to look at it and be like, wow, this is great. This thing is alive and it's well. But eventually, it's going to wither away and die. And Jesus says here that the reason it withers away and dies is because it doesn't have good roots. Okay? Jesus is saying that the seed that's planted in this shallow soil, because it doesn't have good roots, it cannot withstand difficulty. It cannot withstand this time of hardship. And then because it doesn't have good roots, because it can't hold on to the moisture, it's going to wither away and die. Now, anyone uh, who knows anything about agriculture knows that a good root system is critical to the survival uh, and strength of a plant. Roots are what nourish a plant. They hold on to water, right? They help feed and water the plant. They strengthen it. They nourish it. Uh, they support it. And without these things, without good roots, right, a plant cannot survive. Without good roots, a plant is going to shoot up quickly, but it's also going to quickly die. Now let's make this sort of metaphorical jump. You know, what kind of people is Jesus describing here? Jesus is saying that these are people who hear the gospel preached and they take to it very, very quickly. Okay, they receive it with joy. But because they don't have a good root system, their faith is short-lived and it's unproductive. Okay? When, and eventually, when push comes to shove, their faith is going to fall away. And the reason why is that these people lack roots. They lack people as well as practices that will help them retain living water. Okay? They lack people as well as practices that will help nourish them and strengthen them and support them. And some, they lack roots. Well, what might be some of these people and practices? What, are, what might be some of these roots that can help nourish the soul, right? Help retain water that feed and strengthen and nourish us. Well, one of those things might be reading the scripture, opening up your Bible, being reminded of the gospel, being reminded of, of who God is, uh, and who we are and what he has done to save people like us, right? Being reminded of the gospel of, of often. Another sort of root, you know, is prayer. You know, going to God, talking with him, listening to him, communing with him in prayer. You know, these are things that help us retain water, that nourish us, strengthen us, support us. Another thing is the church, a place where the gospel is preached regularly, a place where you hear it often, a place where you get to participate in the Lord's Supper, right? Where your faith is fed and you commune with God and you commune with His body here on earth. A group of people, a community of people who loves you and cares for you and comes to support you 
and prays for you. This is what rootless people lack. They lack these sorts of things. And because they do, they fail to bear good fruit. And they wither away. When I think of sort of rootless people, you know, those who lack roots, um, sort of two categories of persons sort of come to mind. And the first sort of category are those types of people whose faith is purely driven by feelings and experience. Okay? Hear me when I say this. Uh, There is nothing wrong with feelings. And there's nothing wrong with experiences. I sincerely believe that God wants us to feel His love for us. And we ought to have an experience of His presence with us, an experience of His power uh, within us. Like God wants us to, to, to know those things. But persons who are purely driven by feeling and experience are, are those sorts of people who are constantly chasing after some sort of spiritual high. You know, they, They've had this sort of mountaintop experience with God and they're trying to relive that again and again and again. And when they fail to have that feeling or they fail to sort of relive that experience, they sort of think, well... Maybe my faith is weak, or maybe this isn't real, or maybe God isn't real, or maybe, you know, this is all just bogus. And they sort of chuck the faith. I mean, they fail to produce faith and fruit, right? Well, that happens. There was a churchman uh, named Oswald Chambers, and he had something to write about this, and I just want to quickly read that to you now. Um, Here's what he says about this sort of kind of person, this sort of experience. He says, and I quote, We have all experienced times of exaltation on the mountain when we have seen things from God's perspective and have wanted to stay there. But God will never allow us to stay there. The test of our true spiritual life is in exhibiting the power to descend from the mountain. Let me say that again. The the true test of our spiritual life is in exhibiting the power to descend from the mountain, to go down. If we only have the power to go up, something is wrong with us. It is a wonderful thing to be on the mountain with God, but a person only gets there so that he may later go down and lift up the people who live in the valley. We are not made for mountaintops. We are made for the valley and the ordinary things of life, and that is where we have to prove our stamina and our strength. What he is saying, what Oswald Chambers is saying, is that people who are just driven by feelings and experiences only forget that God may often meet us on a mountaintop, but we're not supposed to live there. He might meet us there, but he sends us down into the valley where it is dark and messy and difficult and even sometimes scary. And if you're purely driven by your feelings, okay, you will forget... And, if, and, and here at this point, if you don't have roots, right, you won't be able to su- survive that. You won't be able to sustain your faith in the midst of that. Because why? Life in the valley is difficult. It's hard. It doesn't always feel good. But if you have the right roots, you, you know that. You have, you're being reminded of that from Scripture. You're being reminded in prayer that God is with you. You have a community that tells you, look... God is still with you, but without those sorts of roots, you can live life in the valley and just feel maybe it's not real after all and just walk away, not bear fruit, 
wither away and die. You know, one other sort of maybe person who is maybe these people who um, take to the word quickly but have no roots are Christians who think that they can just go it alone without the church. These are people who say, hey, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with his people. I don't want anything to do with this, this body of Christ. And Jesus is saying, that's a mistake. That's a mistake. Jesus is saying, you need to abide with me, but you also need to, ab- to, to be connected to my body here on earth. There's life in the body. And I, me- I intend to feed you and to nourish you and to s- strengthen you and sustain you there with these people. There's life in the body. And if you sever yourself from it, if you sever yourself from these roots, you're very likely not to bear good fruit and you'll probably wither away and die. You need this community to remind you of the gospel. You need a church community to remind you of the gospel. You're going to need their support in times of trouble. And hear this too. You're going to need to be there to support them when they are experiencing times of trouble. That's how we grow in love and in peace and in patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit that God intends to grow within us. We need each other to bear those things out. Who make demands on our, on our patience, you know? Who require us to forgive their sins. That's how we grow in love. That's how we grow in peace and patience and so on. Well, asking this question, why does some seed fail? Why does some seed succeed? The second obstacle to faith and fruit bearing is this lack of roots. It's a lack of Bible study or a prayer closet or a church community. These things are needed if a seed is going to bear faith and fruit. Well, let's look at the third seed-soil combination. Verse 8-7. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it, and they choked it. Jesus, interpreting this group, said in verse 14, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Now remember, a seed is sown, right, in the expectation that it's going to bear good fruit. Well, here, the fruit doesn't mature, uh, and the seed fails. And the question is why, and Jesus says the reason why is because thorns choked it. Now, the thorns that are described here are a Palestinian variety that can grow up to six feet tall. And on these weeds, these thorns, are often very beautiful flowers. They are of various colors. They're red, and they're yellow, and they're blue. These are not the kind of thorns that I think of often, like at the end of Disney's uh, Sleeping Beauty, you know, where the prince is in the the dungeon and he breaks out and there's these nasty, like, black and and gray thorns that he's got to hack away at thorns and they're really sinister. (laughs) They're not like that at all. These are beautiful thorns with with beautiful flowers on them. They're the riches and the, the cares of this world. Beautiful and attractive things. These things the riches and cares of the world, they're, they're things like, you know, having a lot of money or having, you know, a really nice house, having a lot of nice things. I mean, these things aren't bad per se, and, and, and frankly, they can be really good things, but therein lies their danger. 
It's precisely because these things are good and they're beautiful that we are prone to worship them instead of God. It's precisely because these things are good and beautiful that they easily vie for our time and energy and attention. These things quickly capture our imagination. And it's, if we're not careful, we can easily make you know, having a lot of money or having a really nice house or having a lot of things the meaning and purpose in our life instead of Jesus and his gospel. And as such, Jesus compares these things to good and beautiful thorns that can quickly choke out the word. Excuse me, not quickly choke out the word, but choke out the word. <laughs> Choking of a thorn uh, on a plant is not something that happens quickly. It's something that is gradual and, and happens over time. This is a slow squeeze. You know? And because of that, it's also really dangerous because something that happens over gradual, slowly, is hard to detect. It can often fly under the radar. We, we can often miss these things. But a slow squeeze is dangerous. It can choke out life. And Jesus is saying, be warned. These things, if you are not careful, can choke out the life that I intend to grow in you and they can prevent you from bearing good fruit. I have only one more point to say about maybe this sort of person. If you believe, okay, that Jesus' primary motivation was to come to earth and to make you rich and happy and really comfortable, I want, you're mistaken. Jesus does want you to be happy, but he wants you to know where your true happiness lies. Jesus' primary mission here, when he came to earth, was to heal you and to heal this broken world. That was his primary motivation. He has come to bring light to darkness. He has come to give hope to those who have none. And Jesus knows that you're knowing him and you're loving him and you're joining in the work that he is doing around the globe is the key to really being happy, not all this other stuff. All this other stuff, making a lot of money, having a really nice house, having a lot of good things, these things are not in the end fully going to satisfy you. But knowing Jesus, loving him and participating in his work here around the globe can and it will. And he wants you to focus on Him and focus on that. These things, the nice house, a lot of money, can distract you and prevent you from participating in His mission. And it really can choke out the life that God intends to grow in you and prevent you from bearing fruit. So, asking this big question, right? Why does some seed fail? Why does some seed succeed? Well, so far we've looked at three seed-soil combinations, haven't we? We saw that the first seed fails to to bear fruit because the devil takes away the word. In the second instance, what it lacks is good roots. And in the third, it's choked off by the riches and cares and pleasures of this world. But this brings us to our fourth and final seed. Okay, The only successful one. The only one that bears faith and, and good fruit. And why is this seed successful? Okay, Well, let's take a look at at the scriptures and see what it has to say. Verse 8-8. And some fell into good soil, and it grew, 
and it yielded a hundredfold. And then in 8.15, Jesus interpreting this for us says, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. Okay? As I said to you, this is the successful seed-soil combination. This is the only one of the four that bears fruit. And what makes this seed-soil combination so successful? Well, we could say for starters that it's not like the other three, right? The devil doesn't take the seed away. You know, it does have good roots. It's not being strangled out by the thorns. But it also says a few other things, right? It also gives a few other characteristics. And the text mentions three. First, it says here that in the seed-soil sort of combo, it's holding fast to the word. Okay? The, the soil, the seed that sort of bears good fruit is one that holds fast to the word. You could say that this is a person who is holding fast to God's word. He or she is clinging tightly to God's promises. She's not letting them go. They're ever before him or her. Right? He's being reminded of them all the time and holding to them. You could say that this seed has good roots, right? It has people and practices in place that help it retain living water, that, that help you know, in times of difficulty, in times of hardship. They're not letting these things go. The uh, moisture isn't sort of seeping away, but they're able to hold tightly to the Word. Okay, that's, that's one characteristic, the presence of good roots, okay, that, which allow it to hold fastly to the Word. Secondly, it says that this Word is planted in an honest and good heart. Okay? This is a seed that is planted in an honest and good heart. Now, what does that mean? Okay, what does it mean to have a, an honest and a good heart? An honest heart is, first and foremost, you know, a heart that is repentant. It's a heart that recognizes sin and shortcoming and is comfortable confessing that, comfortable going to God and saying, I, I am exactly what you say I am. I'm a sinner in need of, savior, uh, of salvation. I'm, in, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. That's what an honest heart is. It, it's not afraid of, of admitting that. It's repentant. It's con, it confesses this often, right? But it's also a good heart. It's a, it's a believing heart. It's a heart that knows that while I might be a sinner, I'm also a sinner who is saved by grace. I know that I'm loved. You know, it feeds on, on Jesus' word. It feeds on his love. It, it feeds on the gospel. It, that's sort of like the blood that's going through its stream. And in that sense, it's a very healthy and good heart. It's an honest heart because it's repentant. But it's a believing heart that looks to Jesus Christ for salvation, that knows that it's loved. And it's got the love of Christ circulating through its stream. And in that way, it's healthy. In sum, an honest and good heart is a heart that can say to itself, right? Cheer up. You're a worse sinner than you could ever imagine. But you're a lot more loved than you ever dared hope. An honest and good heart can say that. It's sort of like the ba-bum, ba-bum, ba-bum. You know, like the heartbeat of an honest and good heart is one that says, cheer up. You know, you're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine. That's the honest part. But you're more loved 
than you ever dared hoped. Okay? That is the heartbeat of an honest and good heart. And the word that is planted in that kind of heart, and, and the word that, and a heart like that that is clinging fast, right, to the promises of God, to Scripture, is one that bears fruit with patience. That's the third characteristic. It's exactly in those sorts of conditions that you find fruit being born with patience. Okay? That is the seed that the sower intends for to do, to bear fruit with patience. That last part is very, very important. Fruit bearing is a process. It's not instantaneous. It takes time. We bear fruit with patience. Christians, there is a reason why God has sowed his word in your heart and he is watering it and he is causing it to grow. He really wants to conform you into the image of his son. Okay, this is his intention for you. He longs for you to bear the fruit of his spirit, love and joy, peace, patience, and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And as he does this work in you and through you, people around you are going to notice a change taking over you, that you are growing in these things. Okay? But this takes time. We bear fruit with patience. Fruit bearing is not something that is instantaneous. Okay? It takes time. What this means is that while we as a church community should look and expect to find that, yeah, we are growing in grace together. We are bearing fruit together. We need to be gracious to one another and patient with one another. (laughs) Why? Because it takes time. And we also, friends, need to be patient with ourselves. Okay? I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where when I sin, I can be so hard on myself. I can be like, well, that's it. I'm not bearing fruit. You know, this is all just a waste of time. This, I'm a failure. This isn't true. The gospel isn't true. God isn't working in me. And I can be very impatient with myself. What I need, of course, in those times like that is, right, good roots. I need to go back to Scripture and remind, remind myself of the promises that I'm accepted not because I'm a perfect person, but because I have a perfect Savior. I need to be reminded of that. And I need a community to speak those very words to me. I need all of you to tell me that. Right? I need good roots. I need you guys to remind me when I start to doubt the gospel that fruit pairing is is a process. And I also need to remember the words of the gospel that he who began a good work in us, he who began a good work in me, is going to carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He is faithful. He is going to do this. Fruit bearing is a process. It takes time. Well, Jesus has given us this parable to help us understand what is it that, that allows the word to take root in our heart and for it to grow. Okay, he, he does this for a purpose. He sows his gospel seed, right? He preaches his word in order that it would find its home in your heart and that it would grow and that it would bear good fruit. And he wants to identify sort of these pitfalls, these things that could really get in the way. He wants you to be aware of spiritual warfare. He wants you to know the importance of roots. He wants you to understand, 
You know, that there are beautiful thorns out there that would seek to choke out the life that he intends to grow in you that really can prevent you from bearing good fruit. But he wants this seed, okay, to be planted deep in this honest and good heart, this repentant and believing heart, for you to hold fast tightly to his word and for you and for me to bear fruit with patience. May it be so. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful that you sow it generously, that you remind us of your gospel again and again and again. And Father, I pray, just as we did at the beginning, that you would allow this word to find its home deep within our honest and good hearts, our hearts that recognize that we are sinners, but we have a Savior that puts its trust in you. And help us to hold fast, to hold tightly to your word. And Lord, would you bear good fruit in our lives? And we, would we look for it with patience? We ask these things in your Son's name. Amen.